If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. I'm joined by my two <laughs> co-hosts, colleagues, as uh, co-hosts, go-to phrase, partners in crime. Yeah. Uh, the man on my left is Chris Cusack. Uh, he's literally never been seen, and I include his mother at birth, without a pair of Adidas Sambas on. <laughs> he was born in a pair of Adidas Sambas. The only man that's ever happened to. I that's am a accepting endorsements. <laughs> Uh, and to my right, uh, that voice that you just heard is David Weaver. Um, I think we've known each other for 40 or 50 years now. Um, we first met when David was uh, playing in a Static X cover band at uh, an old folks home just around the corner from my flat. David was, of course, Wayne Static. Until those uh, slightly unfortunate allegations came. Uh, Made Wayne Static want nothing to do with David. <laughs> <laughs> and now one of them's dead. Yep. It's, it's Wayne Static. It is, actually. Yeah, you're He's right. He's the dead one. Yes. Jesus, man. That's so weird. All our heroes are gone. Yeah. <laughs> There's a joke in there about Static Wayne's, but. Oh, <laughs> hey. I'm keeping that in. Again, again. That is topical, but I think you're taking chances. Yeah. The public have rightfully decided that Jane Doe is to be put in a discography of great records. I mean, there was never really any competition, was there? So, on this episode, we are talking about Chris Cusack's selection. Right. I, I was in a hurry. No, no. <laughs> My selection 
And it's partly to prove a point, partly to lubricate some colourful discussion. Foo Fighters by Foo Fighters, the first album. Visiting is pretty, visiting is good. Seems that all they ever wanted was a brother. Why that record? Well, that's an uncomfortably direct question. <laughs> um, why that record? Okay, on one hand, because it's a really beautifully written, very, uh, again, naive record and nicely balanced. It flows really well. And it's sort of like Nirvana minus the heroin um, in a lot of ways. Like, it's like, there's a lot of like, it's got harder moments, it's got nastier moments, it's got scuzzy moments, but it's got none of this sort of uh, misanthropy of Nirvana and... I was a huge Nirvana fan when I was younger, so it was nice to see something good follow it. On the other hand, why is why this record, as opposed to other Foo Fighters records, given that they're a band I know, is because they're a shit band. <laughs> and they are consistently disappointing uh, affront to alternative rock credentials as they get older. Colour and the Shape's a good album. I know that's the obvious other go-to guy, and we'll probably speak about that, but... Everything subsequent to that. I mean, from the first day, I, mean, I heard that song Stacked Actors, which is the first track off the third album. I thought, oh, this, this could be all right. Absolutely not. And everything following it, learning, like, what was it? See, I, I don't even say learning to fly because it's a Tom Petty song, but it might as well have been a Foo Fighters song and vice versa because they are so bland, like, so completely devoid of any real thing to, to say other than pay us and we'll smile at you you know it's just yeah I, I just uh, they're a band that I, I don't I don't even hate that it's hard to hate them that much because there's so little to hate but I hate them because it's so disappointing that that's what they became you never quite get there musically do you know what I mean there's always a promise of them doing something great and they never quite get to greatness that's how I feel about them do you know Stacked Actors is the one that defines Foo Fighters for me because like I heard that because I read the reviews of that album and it was like, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm getting into alternative music. And that's the first track and it's like absolutely beefy riff. And then after 30 seconds, it just fades into <laughs> M.O.R. bullshit. Yeah. And then the rest of the album's like that and then the and entire just... rest of their career's like that. And I'm like, oh, who gives a flying <laughs> fuck about this band? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, I'm like, it's just pure like digs at Courtney Love as well. It's just like, oh, <laughs> fuck off, man. Honestly. I don't know. Like they always have like, yeah, they threaten to do something. Like mm. I remember, I remember a mosh pit when uh, a band in my high school played all my life, and it was like, oh, I'm 16 and there's a mosh pit. It's cool as fuck. I think about that riff though. That is that is one. That's chord. a good riff. Yeah, it's, no, a good it's, riff, it's it? not a good riff. It's 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 get 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 so you can if it's simple. They didn't get, they get their first, first man. The whole of the seventies and eighties got their first. <laughs> no, but they didn't make it a you know breakdown riff. And it was like, yeah, that song was cool, and I, you know, if I hear that, I remember. But like that whole that album, that's such a brown album for me. It's just so fucking brown. It's so like beige. A, it's like a yeah, it's like a Ford Cortina. It's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. I suppose like with that song, they attempted to put in some slightly unusual timings and sort of you know behind the beat fills and all these kind of like interesting little gimmicks but ultimately it's just fuck off it's just it's just <laughs> fuck off they, they, they are that band that makes you I mean did you watch like Sonic Highways yeah I mean, we're not even into the album of the first we've heard but Sonic Highways is the perfect 
a illustration of the crushing blandness of that band. And they go to these places and they cover far more interesting music than themselves for like 35 minutes and they, they, they discuss and make a reasonably good job as well of like visiting all these places and making sure they're photographed in them. But then the show descended into this fucking tedious like... Let's play this song from the show. Yeah, like, like, and let's like project the the lyrics onto the screen in like fancy spiky font, handwritten font, like it's dead edgy, and it's just so insulting. And you're just like watching the episode about Chicago with Steve Albini. You watch him, and you can see his soul dripping out his ass as he's as he's doing it. And like he's spoken about that before, and he's spoken about what a nice guy Dave Grohl is, but he's like. You know, what is the fucking point? And just the way that all those episodes were like, let's piggyback on these amazing musical legacies of these places and then let's try and associate our shitty MOR with that music. So talking about piggybacking on an amazing musical legacy, Foo Fighters. Fighters. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, like, I think that that first record, I think it's something like nine of the songs were actually written before or during Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Some of them are selling Nirvana songs. Yeah, yeah, and they, they already existed. And I think he'd, he'd done the pocket watch demos. Yeah, you know, yeah. he made that tape and Marigold, which is a became a Nirvana. And became a Nirvana tune. Yeah, and uh, that song Butterflies, which or Butterfly, which never actually properly came out as Foo Fighters, other than all the bootleg stuff. But it was arguably as good as a lot of the early stuff. One of the songs from the pocket watch tape ended up on and your honour, friend of a friend. I did it? Mm-hmm. I've done an acoustic version of it on on that, on that record too. Uh, weird that they never revisited the Butterfly one. Eh? But um, that that stuff. Um, I think it's five of the tracks in total came after Kurt's death. And I don't fall out with him for reflecting the stuff that was really energising him at the time. He was like working with a guy who was a, a tremendous songwriter and, and contributing as well. You know, you look at In Utero, Dave Grohl had quite a, a sizable hand in that. He wrote Scentless Apprentice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's a really good argument that could be made to say that, you know, Nirvana wasn't just Kurt Cobain and Nirvana's career skyrocketed in Nevermind, which is when Dave Grohl joined. So, I mean, Dave Grohl isn't just piggybacking on Nirvana. I, d- I don't buy into that argument as much as uh, I was a, I admire Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic and the stuff they did before and during and after. I think, like, he does definitely deserve credit for that in a lot of ways and his arrangements and his, his nose when it came to what is and what isn't overplaying, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, f- the first album certainly makes a lot of hay out of its, its approximate market placement. It's, you know, it's interesting though, right, because he couldn't, or Soul Legend has it, he, there was no immediate plan for him to release this stuff. People knew it existed, but there was no, like, feeding frenzy. I mean, it was this, this came out in late 95. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, supposedly the... The reason this stuff got noticed in the first place was, you know, he'd made more of these tapes, and I think some of the demos had ended up he'd given them to Eddie Vedder after um, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam ended up in better terms towards the end of Kurt Cobain's life, and he'd supposedly given these this tape to Eddie Vedder, and Eddie Vedder had then done a radio appearance, like a kind of guest curation on a radio show in '95, and he'd played two of the songs because he was so impressed with them from Dave Grohl's tape. And the songs generated such interest from the listeners that there was a resurgence of people contacting Dave Grohl saying, look, we hear you've got this this catalogue of stuff, you know, would you like to consider releasing it? And, it, you know, this may or may not be true. There's, there's a lot of folklore goes around music mm-hmm. to try and construct a kind of mythology retrospectively. But, uh, you know, if you take that at face value, it, it doesn't seem like he was out there, hey, I'm Dave from Nirvana. 
please put my album out on that basis. You know, he, he kind of, it seems like he really, this stuff was circulating for a while. And, you know, they did that huge show at Reading in 95, which is like, got to be one of the defining moments of Dave Grohl. That moment in Reading where they played in a side tent and the tent was like people hanging from the rafters, like people just absolutely packed to the gunnels with them absolutely destroying with this this new material. You know, he brought in these two guys from Sunny Day Real Estate and he had Pat Smear and just really like going back to basics and having a band. And he'd obviously got the booking because of who he was, but Foo Fighters were not Foo Fighters at that point. You know, they, they were still just this rumour of a thing, of a possible word of mouth. And yet they had this astonishing appearance. And you see people being interviewed about it years later. They're like, they said it was pretty, pretty astonishing experience to be there for that. It doesn't necessarily have a lot to bring to my life now. It's stuff that you maybe to some extent outgrow, but it's also stuff you can revisit, you know, a bit like Weezer. You can revisit it and uh, really just enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy it for how well it's written. You can listen to Alone and Easy Target and good grief and you know just really appreciate simple enjoyable upbeat music especially when it comes on it's very nostalgic you know like I remember floaty is whenever I hear floaty it's just a 15 16 year old summer you know spent playing football and hanging about in caravans and you know learning how to skin up it's really nice in that sense the thing that gets me about this record the most is the fact that the core elements of the Foo Fighters sound were already there and have remained there ever since and I don't know if that's impressive or depressing because all the things that make Foo Fighters songs Foo Fighters songs the popular ones they're there from literally the word go from this is a call yeah that's true you know all the things that are the trademarks of a Foo Fighters song are on this record and it makes me think that Dave's maybe never actually had any other ideas past this kind of music yeah. Well, I remember Remember he did Probot Yeah Which is his metal thing And he had a whole load of You know He had Lemmy And he had Tony Omi Yeah, he had all these uh, Isn't Probot another version of You know, Highways though? Well, that was the thing But he was like I'm good. I've always loved Listening to heavy metal I'm Dave Crow, I'm really cool <laughs> And I, I know lots of famous people But I just want to make A cool metal album And I remember reading An interview with him And it was really endearing Um but I remember him saying, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was part of Probot or if it was maybe before or after. And he's like, he wants to go in, he wants to write a heavy riff. And then no matter what happens, it comes out sounding, you know, like a pop song mm-hmm. or like a, you know, like a Foo Fighters song. Um, and for me, Probot was, you know, that that was a shit album. Uh, it just, what you know, he had all these people and people don't make a good heavy metal album. Um, and yeah, there's something about Foo Fighters is that no matter how hard he tries or they try to be intimidating or you know aggressive or anything, it just all comes back to that really sort of easy listening. Um, <laughs> shit, he's like Elijah Wood in Green Street where he's trying to pretend to be a football hooligan. <laughs> yeah, and like, but I think he's, I think like, I think Dave Grohl's aware of that. I think he's aware of his limitations. I don't think he's going out there and he's, you know, he fucking loves King Diamond and everything, and, and he's not, but he's never gone out to try and write that because I don't think he can. You know, I'm never going to go out there and try and, you know, 
write some massive progressive piece of you know death metal because I I can't do it. So he just sticks to what he knows. Um, you- like fair play to him. Um, I'm just not going to listen to it because it's really boring for me. See, I would say more so than piggybacking on the success in Nirvana, especially well certainly early on. Um, I think later on he's made more of an attempt to piggyback on the legitimacy and the the credibility of stuff like you know the Sonic Highways thing and the Probot thing where you're taking these legit kind of like legends of these you know and some of them are quite obscure but they're highly regarded respected and I've no doubt that he does sincerely like these things but he can't help himself but to want to then latch on and you know uh like by process of osmosis, absorb some of their credibility by. Yeah, but as a human being, anybody would want to do that. I think, wouldn't you? Like if you. Yeah, probably, but it doesn't mean you can't criticize it. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, I so I mean I understand that like like Mark, when I when I even proffered this, you you suggested. Colour and the shape was the obvious choice. It's, a, it's also the only record that Foo Fighters made that actually feels like it's got any soul. Like I think one Do of the think? I think Colour and the Shape. Yeah, because I think one of the biggest issues with this record is because he recorded everything himself. It doesn't feel it definitely doesn't feel like a band is playing. It's missing that kinetic element you would get if a band was if dealer had a hand in writing it or had a hand in playing it with a different kind of yeah approaches I, to the same music, you know. I'm putting my cards on the table here, and I'd never really listened to this album before. I uh, first one, yeah, first one. Wow. Just I don't know why, because it was, you know, I missed it because I would only be nine when it came out. Uh, and my first introduction to Foo Fighters was whatever that third album was called. You know, um, the one with Learn to Fly and yeah. shit Shrunk. Like yeah, then I went. Should have been called Shrunk. Then I went back. Left to, there's nothing. Nothing left to lose. Left to lose. That got that was in like top ten. Yeah, which is it's not a good album of all it's that not. year, but you know it's very boring. Um, it's a very boring album. But um, I then went back to the color and the shape, and I remember being like seventeen, eighteen, and you know my pals would sit down and do Everlong acoustically, and you know it was like a big album. <laughs> I've been there when your pals have been doing Everlong acoustically. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, funnily enough, I w- about in the last year or so. Me and a couple of pals have been talking about Colour and the Shape uh, and then me and my friend Ben had gone back and listened to it uh, and I was not sold on it at all. You know, I'd gone back with very sort of positive feelings, you know, it was a very nostalgic album and then gone back and I was like, oh shit, this doesn't, this is not aged well at all. Yeah, Colour and the Shape, I, I take on board, you're saying a lot of the ingredients of their later you know, Descent into M.O.R. were there on the first album, but they were ever more apparent on the second album. I mean, even even stuff like, you know, Hey, hey Johnny Park mm-hmm. and stuff with its big OTT cornball fucking chorus and like, and some of the more ballady stuff and that one, the, the, was it February Stars? I mean, that is a fucking disgustingly bad song. I mean, it is so bad. And it is everything that they became despite the fact that there was stuff like Everlong in there, which is a really, really good Foo Fighters track. It's a really strong, different, original bit of songwriting. And, like, they just gradually, like, shaved off all those interesting edges. And just one thing that I wanted to go back to was you made the point about the ingredients being there from the start. 
goofy growl, like the the uh, ubiquitous goofy growl that pops up in fucking Eagles of Death Metal videos and Queens of Stone Age videos and fucking uh, I don't know, basically anything he can. Mm-hmm. Goofy growl with a wig on and a big kind of horsey smile that he does, you know. That's there when they did the video for Big Me, and the video for Big Me is like really charming and really cheeky, and they do the Mentos kind of or the Futos, you know. Mint advert and you know it's really it's nice it's sort of naive and it's but I remember when that seeing that song on MTV2 you know it must be like 2000 2001 and it was going back and playing that video and I'd heard Foo Fighters and I was you know fine all my pals like them but you know they're okay I thought that song was a joke because it is like you mentioned naive yeah and it is so naive it's just you know fucking plinky plonky ACG or whatever and it's I was like, where the fuck did this song come from? Yeah, it come definitely from? comes it's from so a much... obviously kinda... crap. It's pretty throwaway, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, talking about she wrote it for his wife, by the way. <laughs> At the time, that song was like a kind of ode to her. Yeah. I don't think she is his wife anymore, so... But I, ju- <laughs> I, like, I just... She's not. <laughs> I, I just didn't get it, because like, obviously I didn't get like the if there was any irony involved in it or not, and I can't... I still can't tell if there was. But it's like I said about... Well, okay, I, I, I don't, don't wanna, think there is irony in any Foo Fighters song. I don't think it exists. I, well, I don't want to in, interpret too deeply here, right? But let's find the the closest analogue for that on a Nirvana record, because I'm talking about Foo Fighters being Nirvana minus the heroin. And you're talking the heroin was the best thing about Nirvana. <laughs> the misanthropy was the best thing about Nirvana. But you're, yeah, but like, you're talking about... The po- best Nirvana album was Bleach, because they just went, fuck off, fucking hate everything. That is a great re- record. And like, <laughs> and, and then Euro was great, because it was so jaded as well. But, but yeah. the analogue for that, the closest you could probably get would be uh, Polly. Mm. And Polly's about rape. You know, and then you've got the Foo Fighters and they're singing, like, about... Well, they're doing a video about mints and stuff. It, it is, like, so much sweeter and so much lighter and sort of... A lot of people really didn't like Nirvana's nihilism and its pessimism, you know? They didn't like yeah, that. Quite a lot did. <laughs> they were quite yeah, oh, yeah, hey, they, were, they did okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how much Kurt benefited from it, but I think, like, he he, deli- he definitely didn't want to repeat that as well. And he wasn't in- interested in setting up a band where they were courting the image of negativity. I know, but... And, I mean, what's happened is it's all you've basically, you've no basically turned much. the Beatles without the Edge turned into Wings. Totally. Nirvana without Edge turned into Foo Fighters. We talking about Edge from U two because he was never in either of those bands. <laughs> like the, U two without Edge. The Beatles thing is the Beatles thing is the most interesting point I think because this is Dave Grohl channels of the Beatles quite a lot. Yeah, but he seems to miss the fundamental thing that made the Beatles interesting. It was the fact they were actually capable of making quite interesting music, <laughs> whereas Foo Fighters just aren't. And I was thinking, as you guys have been talking about, I'm thinking like Foo Fighters are actually a really good singles band because he writes good singles. You know what I mean? I, I mean, there's a massive market for it, you're right, and they're a template for how to succeed as a rock band in the modern climate. I think he's got his audience, and he knows what it is, and he definitely plays to the audience. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of rock bands succeeding at that level. That's that's for sure. And there are far worse rock bands than them. That's also for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But they're insulting in their banality. That's the thing. Like, there are bands that have the decency to be fucking dreadful and you're like, this band is fucking dreadful, therefore, I hate them, but they know I hate them and I know they don't give a shit. Whereas Foo Fighters straddle this line of pretending to be credible, pretending to be something that's in any way relevant or in any way has anything left to say and they just simply don't. At least not in their current format. 
anyway, so the, the the reason for this album is though there was such a pure thing right back at the start. I mean, this album was recorded and played entirely by Dave Grohl, all except for one Greg Dooley, yeah. the Afghan Wigs guitar, guitar on, yeah. on, on, on Ecstatic, Ecstatic mm-hmm. which is a really good song. Um, but for him to auteur an album like that, it's such a pure snapshot of what he was, who he was, where he was at that time and I think there's something really nice about it I mean, yeah. you say it's got no soul, I get that he wasn't jamming in a room with people but it's a hell of an achievement and it's an unfiltered insight into someone, I mean and I would I would challenge you uh, on the soul thing as regards Exhausted, which is a fucking wonderful bit of music, the song Exhausted at the end of the album is, Dave Grohl still says it's his favourite Foo Fighters song and that is just a really beautiful upbeat but sad alternative bit of music and I, it's, it, I think it stands up brilliantly it's still like the amount of people that have probably listened to that album and then gradually drifted off to sleep at the end of Exhausted when they're meant to drift off to sleep as opposed to in the second track like they did for most of the rest of the albums you know it, it, it's a really beautifully constructed album that flows wonderfully is this just this turd thing from this guy that came from this unbelievably explosively huge band that just crashed and burned because one guy couldn't deal with the fame and was so fucking creatively intense and there's so much going on for the guy at that time that it was fascinating to kind of get a report from him in the form of an album and say where's Dave Grohl at on the back of all that excitement because that was only that was less than a year and a half after Kurt Cobain was found dead and you're like wow that's pretty amazing that you're getting that insight I think there's something to be gleaned from that and it's really really interesting and also just enjoyable to listen to. I would also say it has certain similarities to Nevermind in so much as the singles get really boring. And and the first Foo Fighters album, like This Is A Call, um, I'll Stick Around, stuff like that, they get really dull. But the album tracks, stuff like uh, Good Grief and Oh George, um, they're excellent. Good Grief was the one that stood out for me. Oh George was for me. I like... I'd obviously heard it before because I think I've heard all the tracks before but I've never just listened to it as an album well those were the lounge act and drain you of the the Foo Fighters album yeah Grief like yeah it was just somehow I totally agree with you Mark in that the album doesn't have that like kinetic energy that a band does but I feel like Good Grief somehow does as a track it's got like this sort of vitality to it and and man a couple of those songs really still last and Ecstatic still lasts and I think uh, Exhausted still lasts and then you've also got the side of it where you tried to fuck around with like Weenie Beanie and Watershed and the B-sides to that album are also really nice. There's like Podunk, uh, How I Miss You, um, Winnebago. They're they're of a time and of a place in that guy's head and I don't feel for a second that they're overblown the way almost everything else they've done since is. You think so? Oh, I think the stuff they've done since is so preposterously overinflated. I mean, if you were watching a band at any random venue on any given night and they played half of the Foo Fighters singles, you would be like, that's a shit. Go- going back to this with Fairly Fresh Ears, it's it's difficult for me to like work out whether a lot of shit bands sound like the Foo Fighters or the Foo Fighters sound like a shit band. The Snake Eats Its Tail, both are true. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's it's not a bad album at all. I'm not saying it's a bad album, you know, it's, I just, I'm not getting anything from it, but maybe that's because a lot of shit bands have taken everything from it and, you know, recycled it. So, you know, every chord change, every vocal line in it has been copied and been done to death by, you know, a thousand pub rock bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's true, though, of the first album. I think that that is certainly true of their later stuff. But I think the first album... No, there's something about that first album, listening to it, 
over the last few days, it's like a go-to high school rock band. And I, yeah, true. I'm not saying that as a bad thing from the Foo Fighters. I think, I think a lot of kids listened to that album and thought, fuck, I can make riffs like this. I can write songs like this because it's easy. Yeah, yours truly, yeah. But, I mean, War Weezer, you know, like that era was defined by some great bands playing high school music really well. Weezer, Pavement, Sebado, Foo Fighters. Simple ideas played really, really well. And that was a thing and it, it was a valid thing. Yeah, it was, it was, a you know, yeah, 90s rock was sort of defined by that simplicity. Mm-hmm. But you go back and we're talking about classic albums you go back and you compare Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters to, you know, Blue Album, Weezer. Weezer still stands up, I think, just in terms of production, in terms of, in terms of depth. And you can say what you like about Weezer, but that fucking record is... I know you're putting an H in there that's really offending me. It's like Weezer instead of Weezer. I, know, I call myself Weaver as well. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Weaver. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, like to me, I just don't think this Foo Fighters um has that depth to it. <laughs> like you see it like uh, like, <laughs> like somebody supplied for a job. I don't know about this Johnson kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just I'm, I'm that's just, cool, fella. I'll never go far. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I, I get your reservations. I think it is very apparent, though, that you got into that stuff after that album as opposed to me getting into stuff round about just, just prior to that album. At that. Yeah. And I think... It really did connect at that time. Like it really was a really interesting, enjoyable, fresh, relatively modest. I just think it's a very sincere bit of music. I don't think he was trying to be cool. I don't think it is particularly cool. Um, in fact, it, it almost certainly isn't. And there's something nice about that. This guy's not trying to be that cool. He's just had a really fucking awful experience, and he just wants to release some of his music. I think he is sincere still, even though the songs aren't as good as it used to be. But they still contain the same basic building blocks that make Foo Fighters Foo Fighters. I'm not so sure about that side of it. That's, really? that's, that's kind of one of the things about Dave Grohl I'm not so sure about. I think Dave Grohl, part of Dave Grohl is that he is Dave Grohl TM, you know, trademark. And it's yeah. just like, <laughs> he has to be goofy, chuckly, horsey-mouthed, happy Dave Grohl. The sheer overblown behemoth that is now Foo Fighters wasn't around him. There's something nice and uncontrived about it that's long since gone. I think there's something more refined about the songs on, on The Colour and the Shape, which is why I prefer it. He's definitely hit a groove, and that is a groove he's since exploited. Or a rut. <laughs> or, or, yeah, either way you could put it, but he's Honestly, never went... well, February Stars is so fucking bad. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's songs in this record that are horrible as well, like For All The Cows, do you know what I mean? For All The Cows is not nearly as bad. I mean, For All The Cows is totally naive and silly, in the same way as, like, Weezer was with, like, um, let's say, Goddamn, those half-Japanese. It's um, a Scott show. El Scorcho For All The Cows Is Foo Fighters El Scorcho It's it's El Scorcho's a good tune though (laughs) It's It's it's, it's the same It's coming from the same place It's it's not being Overly self-aware Or trying to be too cool You know I I get that it doesn't Stand up that well But it's Because there is a A lack of Contrivedness So if you want to be A Foo Fighters record In in their discography Which I guess there must be because it's the Foo Fighters. No, no, there doesn't have to be, man. Because if it's not this, well, man. that's the thing. I'm like, I understand. You know, fair enough. Maybe I'm sold on this record being the Foo Fighters album to go with. But why should there be a fucking Foo Fighters? Oh, album? yeah. yeah. By by no means do I feel there should be. I am not a fan of this band now. Um, that that ship is long since sailed. But this is a key album of my youth mm. and of many people's youths. And and I think 
even just by a margin of a few years, as seems evident here, it either means a lot or very little. Or nothing, yeah. Yeah, and and um, by the way, I think this entire conversation, it will be interesting to have this in the future about Queens of Stone Age, because I think all many aspects of this also apply I, to that. That's a band I do not understand mm. at all. The, vote, the people that would vote for this, if it goes forward, the people that would vote for it, the people that were there when it came out and will be like, I fucking love that. It's so nice. It's so down to earth and just fun. I, I can see why you would say that, but I mean, none of, I, I wasn't there for an outro either and it's still a great record. I don't think you need to have a personal connection for a record to be worth... Different kinds of records have different... Required... Like, mm. when yeah, I think... But that, I think that's the problem maybe is that if we're defining classics... Surely classics have to be... You can untie your emotions from them and it's still a fucking great record. You can put it in any time or space and it'll still work. Okay. Rather than just being nostalgically lovely. I'd say the writing's on the wall. This isn't getting in. Well, no, but it may well be that we've got a whole bunch of... I'm, I'm not sore about that. I'm not sore about that. I th- I'm just, I, I, feel just a, I just don't get it. I feel I've put my case forward and I can hold my head high when I finally... Would you put it no, in? I've, would I put it in if the list was my own? Yeah, probably. Okay. That's, but, that's fair enough. But yeah. I'm not sore if it doesn't get in because mm. I, uh, under no circumstances, feel there has to be a Foo Fighters record in here. I don't think, as much as they're a big selling, big rock act, I don't necessarily think they've contributed a hell of a lot to the, the, the growth or the health of rock music mm. in that sense. I mean, I guess... And and the and the if we name the podcast the way we've named it, unsung. This is probably going to be the unsung Foo Fighters record, right? I think yeah. I think this. Def- I mean, the fact that David was so familiar with Color and the Shape, but not familiar with this, is tells tells a story in itself. I agree. Uh, would you put it in, Weaver? No, no. I mean, um, maybe it's not a shit album by any means. And I'm maybe actually sold to so have it over. It's basically like one of those shape. stories where at the end of it you're like, you had to be there. It's not funny unless yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just, I just, I just don't think the Foo Fighters are are good or important enough to be on or in a list like this. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they've done a classic album. I sit, I sit in the middle of both those opinions. I think if there's going to be an album, there should definitely. I think there probably should be a Foo Fighters album. Just because they go, they all go down history as being. The Impor- wings of the nineties. Yeah, important. <laughs> you know I mean, like, oh, fuck it. That's a horribly appropriate. It's like Chris said, like, yeah, it's a description. Grohl is the last of a generation of rock stars. We will never see anybody like Foo Fighters ever again. And that in itself. Oh no, no, no! I didn't see that, did I? No, like, he said, I, he I said think, last generation. I think we'll see lots of overblown fucking nonsense. I think we've seen loads of it subsequently. I think Kings of Leon are the logical conclusion of Foo Fighters, which is an even more meaningless rock band than Foo Fighters, yeah. which is already which, pretty meaningless. Yeah, which they won't be getting anywhere near this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm getting to do it. What, what was that band that uh, came after the Libertines? Uh, oh, dirty, 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 pretty things. Dirty, things, pretty yeah. things. I mean, fuck. I mean, Mumford, Mumford and Sons as well. Yeah. Like when Mumford and Sons started wearing leather jackets, because because people were like, "Yeah, we need to get you." Yeah, no, but they didn't come more. from something that was actually worthwhile. They were shit in the first place. <clears throat> true, it's true. Anyway, I'm in the middle. Okay, uh, you are also physically in the middle I'm as well. Also physically, yeah. <laughs> the panel is undecided, so I guess the the public have to decide for us. Does this go in? I think it should be like the offside rule. I think not? you should give the advantage to the attacker. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to be positive here. I'm trying to make the game interesting to watch. So I mean, I don't want I a cautious linesman ruling. I, I think you have. <laughs> and uh, you talked a good talk. Yeah. 
<laughs> Someone's going to turn around and, and to write the comments. Chris convinced me this is this is a fucking classic. It deserves to be held up as a paragon of great mindless rock. See, music. I could have, <laughs> and I should have gone deeper on why it's shit, but I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> just the whole point. struggling to work up yeah. the enthusiasm to reply. That's the thing. Like I'm struggling to work up uh, uh, like the, the enthusiasm. Me actually care if I should be a fitter's record and fucking thing yeah. in the first place. Um, but the public decides. So vote yes. If you back Chris, vote no if I guess you back me and Weaver, I suppose. Or or don't vote at all. <laughs> you should definitely vote though. Vote Ebathy, man. Yeah, totally. That's that's such a generation X thing to say in this guy's a millennial. <laughs> not just me, him as well. He's not a millennial, he's an exennial. Uh, what's the cutoff point? Like you. My thirties. <laughs> Like Wayne Static, yeah. <laughs> big, big, big Davy Static big over Davey here. Static, <laughs> Davey S, Davey S. Well, if you've got nothing else to add, I think Static Xenial. There we go, man. <laughs> it's come full circle. <laughs> if there's nothing else to add. I think we'll call it a, a night, our day there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. <laughs> What's next week? Oh yeah, sorry. Next week is <laughs> Violator by the Fish. Man. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're not looking forward to this one. Uh, I hate working. <laughs> <laughs>